This morning, our text is John 16, John 16, verses 8 to 11. John 16, verses 8 to 11, and I'm just going to start from verse 7 there, so that uh, uh, just say a few words from that one. But our main text will be from verses 8 all the way to 11. And before we read, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you have created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in there. And you have sustained everything that you have created to this day and you will do so until this will be rolled away and the new heavens and the new earth will be in place. Oh Lord, you are majestic as we saw today so in the psalm there. How majestic is your name. You are so good, O oh Lord, even as we sang today. There is none who has the words that can comfort us. There is none who has the words that can give us peace. There is none who has the words that can give us joy. There is none who has the words to show us what love is, but you, O oh Lord. And so this morning you have shown love to us. You have shown patience upon our lives, upon our families, upon our friends, and we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your word this morning. We ask, O oh Lord, may you glorify your word. May you glorify yourself, O oh Lord, as we read your word. And as I speak your word, O oh Lord, may you guard my heart. May you guard my tongue. May you guard my thoughts that I may speak that which is from you and not that which is from myself. May you be with us in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. John 16, verses 7, I'll start from 7 up to 11. This is the word of God. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Amen? Dear people of God gathered here this morning, God works in our lives by revealing truth through the Holy Spirit. He renews our hearts. He restores our hearts and renews our lives so that the world out there might know and believe that Jesus, the Christ, is the Son of the living God. And that in doing so, we, we may reflect the character of Jesus Christ as he's transforming us. And this morning, under the title, The Transforming Conviction of God, we will see that God, through the Holy Spirit, works in convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It was so nice to see so many kids. It reminds me of my old Sunday school days. We used to do similar things, but I think they are 
They have done it more than we, we were doing. <laughs> but growing up as a young boy, we had, in, in our culture, we have lots of extended families. So if I say this one is my brother, I'm not necessarily meaning my immediate brother. It could be is my cousin, but we call that one my brother. And the one who is the sister to my mom, I can call that literally, we say, my young, younger mother. It's like, she's my mom as well. My uncle, who is the brother to my dad, we do not refer to them as my uncle, we say them my dad. So we have extended families and we're so close. And what would happen is that as you are living in your home, you have all your cousins come and live with you during school holidays, and then they go back and we do the same as well. And also we have our aunties and our uncles, they come and visit for a week or two, or even some a little bit longer. And what happened was, at some point, one of my uncles, when he came, this one, he lived in another city, maybe five or six hours away. So I would only see him a few times. And he also had my name, Sandra. So I don't know if I was named after him, <laughs> maybe. But one time I asked him, Dad, uncle, please buy me a bicycle. And he said, oh, don't worry, I'm going to buy you a bicycle. And you know, he already turned into my favorite uncle right in that moment. So I was looking forward to him buying for me a bicycle. And so he went, and when he came back, I was expecting that he was going to bring the bicycle. But he did not bring it. And then I said, oh, okay, he stays here for some time, maybe we'll go together, he wants me to try it, uh, and then we'll see which one I like. So the time came for him to leave as usual, and I held on to him on the day, I said, don't leave, stay some more, let's go and buy the bicycle. And he said, don't worry, I go and then when I go, I'll send the bicycle, I'll buy it for you. Days went, weeks went, months, years, and the bicycle never came. And I was disappointed because the promise was left unfulfilled. And his passing was even more sorrowful to me because I remembered all those moments. But you see, in our passage this morning, the disciples of Jesus, first they are happy that Jesus is with them. Every day here we say, oh, if Jesus was here today, and we want to be with Jesus. But they were happy. Jesus is with them. And then they are sad again. Because Jesus says, I go away. I go to my father. But then Jesus, interestingly, he says, no, 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 no. Do not be worried. My going away is for your benefit. These are the disciples who have been ridiculed for following this Christ. These are the disciples some of them, they have lost so much. And now the one person whom they trusted is saying is going away. So they are sad. But Christ says, it is good for you because if I go to the Father, I will send the helper, the Holy Spirit, the advocate. Eh? And when he comes, he will transform the world through conviction. And so he says in our passage here, he will transform the world uh, through conviction. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And 
This is the truth about man. Sin is the truth about man. Romans says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And righteousness is the truth about God. He says, Be holy, for I am holy. And judgment is the inevitable combination of both these two things. Because he says, The righteous God, the holy God, will judge sin. And here we see the conviction of sin from verses 8 and 9. There are several things to pay attention to what is happening in this passage here. First, we need to notice there's a word convict. These days, people can say convict. But here, let's put it convict as a verb there. Uh, we, we, we meet this word every day when we read our newspapers, especially when you're talking about the legal places in the courts, you hear of the word convict. And usually, that word is followed by sentencing. Someone has been convicted, and then they are sentenced. Here in the text, it means, uh, in the Greek, they are to reprove or to refute or to expose with compelling evidence. One person uh, said, all undeceive the world by refuting those erroneous opinions that men had before been drunk in or possessed of. But also, notice there's a use of the word, of the word world. Uses the word world here. In the book of John, it is being mentioned so many times. In the first part, in the first half of John, he uses the word differently though. In the second part, he almost means to refer to unbelievers or the unbelieving world when he mentions the word world. But in the first section, he uses it a little bit differently. He says, Jesus comes into the world and takes away the sin of the world. God loves the world and sends his son into the world so that the world might be saved through him. The disciples are chosen from the world so that they go and bear fruit in the world. The Holy Spirit convicts the world through the preaching of the gospel with the result that it stands condemned. This is simply because of what the world is. And yet, it is out of this world, out of this very world, that God is calling his people, is calling his sheep in Christ so that they come and go into this kingdom. It is out of this very world. And it does it so through the preaching of his word. And the Holy Spirit works to convict the world of sin. But how will he do it? The disciples will ask, how will he do it? You have been convicting the world. Here we are seeing it. How will he do it? Well, he sends them away. He gives them the great commission, in, as we did in Matthew 28, through the preaching, through the preaching of the word, but also how you live your life as a transformed person. So the working of the Holy Spirit is, is to transform the world, to convict of sin, so that you're not just convicted, but you're actually converted. You're actually transformed. And when you are transformed, you now start reflecting the character of the master. Because Jesus, remember Jesus said, when the helper comes, he will glorify me. So the whole spirit's job is to bring everything 
to the attention of the disciples and us today of what Jesus Christ has said. You have probably heard people saying, oh, this sermon, it was full of conviction. And sometimes people say, oh, the sermon, it was, uh, it was lacking conviction. Eh? Hopefully, hopefully not this one today. <laughs> but you see, Christians here, some of you have been in the Christian faith for many years. Some of you, you are new to the faith. Some of you, maybe you are asking questions. What is this faith all about? But you often hear many Christians using the word conviction. I was convicted before I came to Christ. I heard the gospel and then I was convicted. We use this word a lot. But you see, conviction by, by itself, it does not bring about salvation. The Spirit may work directly to convict people through the word, as James says, but it communicates the truth which he uses to convict unbelievers. So he communicates the truth. In Acts 18.28, Luke, he records how Apollos was used by God to refute the Jews from proving from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Christ. And as Apollos declared the truth about Christ, the special revelation which he communicated was used by the Holy Spirit to convict his listeners. First, the Spirit will convict the world as guilty regarding sin. You see, God must teach us what sin is. Without God revealing to us what sin is, we will not know what sin is all about. We live in a world today where people call sin as good, or they call evil as a good thing, and they call what is a good thing as evil. So God is the one who shows us that this is sin. So we need his revelation from his law. But you see, Jesus Christ is showing that sin is not just about law-breaking. He also says here, if you notice in, in verse 9 there, he says it is all about unbelief. Eh? He says it is about unbelief. He says because they do not believe in me. So the Spirit will convict the world of sin because the world has an unbelieving spirit. You see, he paints this picture. He's, there's a verdict there, Jesus says in 3.19. He says, this is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. That's a verdict there. But this convicting work of the Spirit shows that the world that they are in, in the darkness and guilty regarding their actions and state. So he convicts them that what you are, the world you are living in is sinful. What you are doing is sinful. Your state is sinful. So the conviction of the Spirit, you see, is not in part. When he convicts a sinner, he does not leave one part. He convicts the whole of you because he wants to transform the whole of you into his image, into the image of Christ. And you see, after conviction, then there is belief. And the writer of Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not make your heart stiff. That's the word. Don't turn. Be flexible. Be flexible. Don't, don't let it be stiff here. Turn. That's the word that he's using there. 
You see, in Acts chapter 2, we see the culmination of the convicting of the whole spirit of sin. When Peter stands and he preaches to the people there, to the masses, and we read in Acts 2 that 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000. But you see, this first thing that happened there, as Luke says, he said when they heard the gospel, when they heard Peter preached, they were cut to the heart. That's the way they were cut to the heart. That's the response which the Holy Spirit is expecting, which God is expecting to the person who is being transformed by him. And so, my, my friend, this morning, when you hear the message of the gospel, are you cut to the heart? Are you convicted of your sin? That sin that so easily entangles you. You see, sin is not just a difference in opinion that this is bad, it's okay for me. No, 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 no. Sin is a total rejection of God, total rejection of his messenger, who is Christ, the Messiah, but also a total rejection of his message. In the Great Awakening of 1860 to 61, in Great Britain, a high-ranking army officer described the conviction of sin in, in his Scottish town. He said, those of you who are is have little conception of how terrifying a sight it is when the Holy Spirit is pleased to open a man's eyes to see the real state of heart. Men who were thought to be and who thought themselves to be good, religious people, have been led to search into the foundation upon which they were resting and have found all rotten, that they were self-satisfied, resting on their own goodness and not upon Christ. Many turned from open sin to lives of holiness, some weeping for joy for sins forgiven. We find this encounter uh, is J. Edwin All, who gives this account in his book there. Dear friend, this morning, have you been rebuked by the Holy Spirit? Making it clear to you that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. My, I played soccer, so we had the soccer coach, uh, which I, we say is the best sport in the world. <laughs> Here you have football. We call it football there too, but not this one, but the soccer. So, but he used to say this, if you are not in Christ, it is zero times zero is equal to zero. Because whatever you are going to do, you're just multiplying your own sin and you are not going to, you are not going to arrive at anything. That's a reproving of the Holy Spirit. That's a convicting of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You see, the world today offers many things, easy things, easy advantages over others, even some which leads to oppression over other people and suffering. But the call is to recognize what is sinful and call sin as sin. There is no need to sugarcoat it. Eh? No need to put some explanations there. Sin is sin. And the Holy Spirit will convict all sin. None of the sins will be hidden in his sight. You see, he is here in your life 
to, con to transform you of your condition. Not just your ideas, but your whole state. Now you are a sinner, but you were a sinner before, but you are no longer sinful. You are striving to live towards the character of Christ. You are being renewed day by day. You are being transformed day by day. My friend, are you struggling with some sin? Are you loving some sin or sins? A little bit more. Is there something you are holding on to? You say, oh, I've given up all these sins. But just this one. Maybe next year. Maybe in five years' time. The call for you is to give it all to Christ. Give it all to Christ because he searches your heart. He searches your heart. You see, for those in Christ, the world is waiting for believers who have been convicted by the Holy Spirit. Those who have come to know that this is my end. I have come to the end of myself in my sin. They know their misery. They know their total depravity. They know that they do not rest in their sin. They do not hide, but they run. They go to Christ. You see, the Spirit kills that remaining sin, that indwelling sin, that sin which so easily holds on to you. A life of no conviction will say, oh, it's okay, don't worry. Everybody makes mistakes. It's okay. You can live like that because there's no conviction. But you see, a life of conviction, a Christian who is living in a life of conviction, he says to himself, oh, there is a fountain. There is a fountain drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. They lose all their guilty stains. continue saying the dying thief the dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day and there may I though as far as he wash all my sins away wash all my sins away wash all my sins away dear dying lamb of the precious blood shall never lose his power shall never lose his power till all the ransomed ones of God be saved to sin no more eh? and we continue to say be saved to sin no more be saved to sin no more. For it is such, dear congregation, in daily conviction of the Spirit who transforms the world around them. If you are living in conviction, <laughs> your spouse will know that you have been convicted, for those of you who are married. And they will tell you, you just have to ask them one day, am I living under conviction here? Just be ready, just be prepared. <laughs> But you see, there is conviction at your conversion. There is conviction in your sanctification as you live today. And the call is to have that living in your life where there is conviction, conviction and conviction every day in Christ. Because he has laid your sin bare and you have no other hope but to run to Christ always. But thanks be to our God. Thanks be to our God as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 to 16. Who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God 
among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? We give glory to God. Because he alone, he reveals the sin in our lives. Not only before you were in Christ, but also when you are in him. Because there is a sin that so easily comes. But also because you are still in this world. You are still in the flesh. And you need the daily conviction. Because Christ shows you that he is the real person who takes away the sin of the world. John calls him the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. But also notice here the conviction of righteousness in verses 8 and 10. The spirit will convict the world of righteousness. You see, not only must you be, not only must you see the true nature of, of your sin, but you must also see the true nature I use this word, of your fake self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. I'm using that word there deliberately because of self. If there is righteousness and it is yourself, it sprouts from you, it is not original. You see, we, sing, we used to sing this song in our Bible college. It says, holiness, holiness, holiness is what I long for. Righteousness, righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness is what I long for. Now, he was going through a series of holiness. That was his main theme. He was a missionary in, in Malawi, the Bible college we went to. He came from uh, Mississippi, I believe. This other day, there was so many scandals on the campus. It's a Bible college, but there's so many things that are happening, sinful activities. And then he was so angry. But you know, this day when he was singing, the choir knew that on his day, either we sing holy, 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 or we sing holiness, holiness, holiness is what I So all the songs when he was preaching, they were about holiness. But this day we sang and then he came up and he said, oh, you are singing holiness, holiness, holiness is what I long for. Righteousness, righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. But in your hearts, you are saying sinfulness, sinfulness, sinfulness is what I long for. And everybody was like, oh, <laughs> it's actually true, because we were thinking we are okay. But you see, the Spirit convicts of our self-righteousness. And Jesus says, it is for your good. It is for your benefit. And you see, Christ's accession to heaven demonstrates that the righteousness of the religious leaders who were saying Christ, the Messiah, is not righteous. Them, it, it, it is revealed that they have been rejected. Their righteousness is not worth it. Is not worthwhile. Because he says here, Christ, uh, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. You see, those who judge Christ, they become themselves judged. judged. Their session is there for the basis of the Spirit's ministry of convicting the world of false righteousness. Those who reject whom the Father has sent cannot be right with God, cannot reject Christ 
and say, the relationship is just between me and my God. Which God? There's nothing like me and my God. This is the God, the one whom Christ says, my father. And if you reject him, today you might hear so many things. In our country, uh, there's so much of religion. It's, it's called a Christian nation. The majority are Christians. But sometimes you just have to ask, what do you mean you're a Christian? Then you see so many different things. Say, oh, I know God. But they do not know Christ. Because they have a self-righteousness. Like many people today, sometimes we think like, oh, the righteousness of Jesus, it is a given one. It is good. But you see, in his day, it wasn't as so. Many people, they rejected him. They called him all sorts of names. They called him a glutton. They called him an imposter. Some people, they even called him demon-possessed. They called him a wicked destroyer of the law, the one who came to fulfill the law. I know so many other accusations. But you see, when the Spirit comes, when he convicts the world of righteousness, he shows that by persuading them the wake of the righteousness of Jesus. Eh? And today, hardly would you meet someone who says that Jesus was not righteous. Even if they are not believers, they will say, oh yeah, Christ is, is good. He's a, they will say so many other things. He's a good man. He's a good prophet. He's one of the prophets. He's the son of God. They will say so many other things, but you will not really hear someone say, as they would say in his day, that he is unrighteous. He is a break of the law. And that is the work of the Spirit. He is convicting the world of their righteousness, their self-righteousness, so that no one stands in, uh, in the side of God and say, oh, I did not hear this. Because the Spirit searches our hearts. God must teach us that our righteousness is insufficient. It is important for you to recognize that your righteousness amounts to nothing before God and that it is not within yourself. All the good things that you do, the good works, they are driven as you are being led by the Spirit, as He is conforming you day by day to the image of Christ. They are not yours, but they are coming from the Holy Spirit. And if you think that, oh, I have become righteous, you are making yourself as though you are a staff member. There is no staff member in the kingdom of God. You do not rest. Every day you run. Every day you run to the cross. Oh, Father, save me. Oh, wash me. Because you are living under the conviction. Every day. You do not rest. You see, Paul, in Romans 3, he said, there is no one who is righteous. No, not even one. And John here, in, in, in a previous passage, in chapter 6, verse 63, he shows the depths of our sins. Jesus declared, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You see, John usually brings down the self-righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. He shows that they are careful to keep the Sabbath, but they show no concern to those who are physically disabled. 
They study the scriptures diligently, but they reject the Messiah foretold in the same scriptures. They have the law of Moses, that they are, but they are planning to murder Jesus. Even those who turn to Christ, they are afraid to, to say that they have turned to Christ. As we see in, in John 12 there, when they are asked, they, they, they are afraid to say, oh, I met Christ because of the Pharisees. And as Castle notes, it is a small wonder then that the Holy Spirit must convict the world of its righteousness. Because we have our own and it is nothing in the sight of God. You must be convicted of the gravity of your sins and see the incomplete insufficiency of your actions before God. You see, the standard of righteousness is God. <laughs> Not us. Eh? Not anyone else we know. Before I became a Christian, my dad was a preacher. I thought being a good boy in the home, you know, listening, imitating him, God would be giving almost like a thumbs up, say, yeah, good boy. And sometimes at the end of the day, I would try to recount what things I did. And oh, this was good. This was good. This is not good. This was good. Because my standard was people have seen. But you see, the standard of righteousness is not us. It is not ourselves. Children, hear this. It is good to listen to our good and loving parents, our well-meaning grandparents, our uncles, our aunties, but the standard of righteousness is not them. It is God. It is the high standard there. We are to imitate those who have gone before us as they meant about the, the standard is so high, the bar is so high. And you see, if we have the standard as ourselves, our goal is ourself. But the goal is Christ. He is the one who are to aim to be like. We are to be more conformed in his image and not in the image of uh, people who see around. Because what will happen when you do that, you are going to compare yourself and then you are going to be like the Pharisees who prayed that prayer. He said, oh God, listen to me. I think I am righteous. I am not like that tax collector. Eh? In our day, we have people here, you can put in that bracket there. I am not like so, so, so. I go to church every Sunday. I even go on time. I read the Bible every day. I read it aloud. I have even memorized the whole New Testament, word by word. Listen to me. Not, not that one. Because that Pharisee thought his self-righteousness was enough to be accepted by God. But it is not so. You see, one of the things I've learned here about the American board games, there's so many games that I've learned here, and there's one game called Monopoly. <laughs> I like that game. It's, it's really nice. You get money, eh? <laughs> you get money and you, you, you buy something there, and then the game continues. It's so, so interesting, that game there. But you see, that money... In the game of Monopoly, when you get, no matter how much you can stack, 
You cannot go to the coffee shop and say, I need to buy a cappuccino. It will not be accepted. You see, similarly, our righteousness cannot be accepted in the economy of God. We cannot bring our righteousness to buy the privileges in the kingdom of God. It's just like that board game, that monopoly game. We can play, but it is zero times zero is equal to zero. But the righteousness of God is what we strive to be. And that comes when the Spirit convicts us that, brother, sister, you are trusting in yourself. Yes, you have walked this path, but there's one thing here. You are looking into your heart. You are looking into yourself. What, how do you respond when your spouse has convicted? Oh, yeah, but you as well, you do this last time. No, no, no. <laughs> conviction. Not only to know content of Scripture, but conviction is what matters. You see, here also in Michigan, there's so much wildlife, like the deer. I see it moving around, but the psalmist in, in verse 42, he says the deer, it pants, eh? it pants for, for flowing streams. You know that image of a deer panting for water? It's so great because the deer in the forest there, it has been running. That's the image that is being presented. It has been running away. It is being chased by lions. It is being chased by tigers and all kinds of animals. And when it flies, it, it's so thirsty. And it pants and it goes into that river. And when it finds the water, it just so drinks it and it comes it down. And it says in the psalmist, just as the deer pants for that water, my soul, my soul longs for you. Is that your thirst this morning? Are you thirsting for God? By the, are you being wearied? When you are wearied by the life, day-to-day -day life activities, do you pant in your heart? Christ, I want to come to you. You see, he will not reject you if you come to him. You need to turn to Christ because your righteousness will not quench your need for true righteousness. And finally, we see here the conviction of judgment. See this in verse 8, but also in our final verse in verse 11, it says, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, the judgment of the devil himself means that there will be a final reckoning between God and his rebellious creature. The Holy Spirit warns the world of this coming judgment. Normally, as in the courts, conviction follows judgment. So when they say this person has been convicted, then they follow judgment or, or sentencing later on. You see, when the Holy Spirit works, there is an in-between step, the revelation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which can satisfy the judgment for the convicted person. The world, the prince of it, is judged. And as God says, to adhere to it rather than to Christ is to cling to a doomed cause. 
is to hold on to a sinking ship. Huh? A sinking ship. Jesus, as it were, he nailed our sins to the cross and paid the penalty for them. Judgment was reversed. In other words, the judge, Jesus, became the judge. And he now passes judgment on all who are outside of his divine protection when it comes to the wrath of God. You see, the world's concept of judgment would be shown wrong because it was the prince of this world and not Jesus who had been condemned. As we read in Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When the, whole, when the world beholds the risen Christ, it is shown that its judgment does not stand up. Satan's power is broken, and God is shown to be the true eternal judge. You see, when God objectively exposes and brings into the open the guilt of his children, the result will end into repentance and purification. And when God objectively exposes and brings into the open the guilt of the wicked and apostate, the result is always judgment and condemnation. So there is a difference there. If you are in Christ, when the Spirit convicts you, you go into repentance. If you are not in Christ, when the Spirit convicts the world, there is judgment there. It shows the world that they are judged. They recognize that they are sinners. And out of their conviction, the Spirit works to serve that person, to convert that person, and then they are welcomed into the kingdom of God. But for those who are rebelling, for those who are not yielding into the leading of the Holy Spirit, they, their judgment is sure. You see, the world is never portrayed as God's child or the people who belong to the world as God's children. This is what you see in the second half of John. The world is incurable enemy of Jesus and his disciples. Therefore, when the Spirit convicts the world as in the court of law, the result for the world can only be judgment and condemnation. As we see in John 8, 24, he says, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is what the world needs to hear today. You will die in your sins. It doesn't sound, it doesn't sound as loving and caring, eh? <laughs> but this, these, are the world, these are the words of Christ, and they're actually the deeper words of care. He says, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. If the prince of this world has been condemned, how can the world which follows him escape similar condemnation? Satan, the devil, his, his evident doom is the, is, the, is, is the basis for convincing the world that it stands condemned apart from Christ. Those who practice evil and promote evil and, and promote evil practices 
do truly know that the devil himself is evil. There is no one who lives in sin who is going to say the devil is holy. Everyone who follows the devil, they will tell you, yes, the devil is evil. And you see, that doesn't just come automatically. It is the conviction of the spirit as he works in the world. In closing here this morning, brethren, the Holy Spirit reveals knowledge about himself, about God, the Father. He glorifies Christ in our lives and he reveals that to us. But also, he reveals the knowledge about ourselves, our nature, our depravity, and our need for the Savior. But it also reveals the impending consequences of unbelief and about God who does not tolerate sin. About God that he is the true ruler and the one who judges this world. You see, there were other people who tried to deceive the Holy Spirit. We read in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, or Sapphira, if you like. You see, they tried to deceive the Spirit, but you cannot deceive the Holy Spirit. Well, you can try. <laughs> you can try. But the Spirit searches the deep things of God, and you cannot deceive Him. This is the work of God's Spirit within the hearts of lost humanity. Dear friend, this morning, do you see what sin truly is? That sin is sinful to its core. Do you see that your sin is sinful in your heart, not in your neighbor's life? Your sin. Do you see that your righteousness is not real righteousness at all? Do you understand that apart from Christ, God's judgment will be poured out upon you in Christ on the final day. But you see, the Spirit, in his conviction, he wants us to understand that in Christ, there is no judgment because judgment has been passed upon him. He has taken the judgment that you and I deserve and he has nailed that to the cross. And because of him, we stand in the presence of God. He says he will present us holy and blameless before the Father. You see, as I said in the beginning, I had a promise of a bicycle which didn't come as a little boy. But you see, that promise, it was not living. It was temporal. Even if I had that bicycle, I would not have been riding it today. And its benefits, they were temporal. But in Christ, we have a sure living hope, an active promise which has been fulfilled. As we read in verse 7, he says, if I go, it is for your benefit. The Spirit will come. He has come. You are the witnesses in your life every day as he lives in you. These are the wonderful works of the Holy Spirit as he accomplishes them in your life, as he glorifies Christ in the world. The call for you, if you might be here this morning and you're not in Christ, the call is to turn to Christ and he will save you. If you are in Christ, the call is the same. Just as Moses said 
or as Christ said about Moses, he said, just as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That all who believe, all who turn to him, will be saved. Will you turn to him today? Amen? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are the great God. Who is like you in the heavens, in the earth, in the earth beneath? There is none like you. In your psalm, it says, who can stand before you? The world stands up and says, I can stand. But your word says, him who calls God a liar is foolish. Him who says there is no God is foolish and is not wise in himself. Oh, Father, we are in need of you. The disciples prayed, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Oh, Lord, melt our hearts as we turn into your word every day, as we see the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, even those around us. May you glorify yourself, O oh Father, for we have prayed all this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.